I want to give you, um, we're going to get straight stuck into it. I want to give you um, six ways to recognize an oversized ego. Number one, an oversized ego always has to be right. Number two, an oversized ego must uh, always wants more. Number three, an oversized ego must always win. Number four, an oversized ego requires constant recognition. Number five, oversized egos have one-sided conversations. And number six, oversized egos lack empathy. I don't know about you, but I recognize all six of those in, in stages in my life. And that's just since I got up this morning. Um, but all of us will see things like this in our lives. Oversized ego rearing its head in our lives. And uh, I want to open up that this morning. And um, people often say we live in an increasingly narcissistic world. People are saying that we are more and more egotistical in our culture. And actually, this, I, think, I think we're not really. I think humanity has always been narcissistic. Humanity has always been obsessed with our own egos. It's just that now we have social media as a platform for our narcissism. And it's more prevalent than it was before. That Our ego and our narcissism has a stage on which it can be performed. And uh, narcissism, the word narcissism comes from Greek mythology. It comes from the story of Narcissus, who was the son of a river god in Greek mythology. And the story goes that his enemy, who was called Nemesis, which is where we get our uh, phrase, our, your arch nemesis, uh, where that comes from. His, his nemesis, his enemy, leads him to the river to see a reflection of his own beauty. And it's said that Narcissus was amongst the most beautiful of gods. And Narcissus sees his reflection in the river and falls in love with his own reflection. And he becomes obsessed with what he sees in the river. So much so that the story goes that he goes on to commit suicide because he's so frustrated that he cannot express his feelings towards his own reflection. Now, maybe you don't go that far, but I definitely see that in our culture, in our culture today, that we are obsessed with our own reflection. We are a selfie-obsessed culture. We love, you know, a picture of a nice background is no longer enough. It has to have your face with all your chins in, at arm's length, with you with your mouth open going. Like, we are a selfie-obsessed culture. And I think, like I say, humanity has always had a problem with ego. But Jesus was not a person that could be associated with an oversized ego. Jesus had loads and loads of titles. He was Messiah, the Prince of Peace. He was, he was the Son of God, like he was God in human form. Like if anybody in the history of the world had a right to have a big ego, it was the guy who was God in human form. But yet Jesus could never be associated as a person that had a big ego. And to help us understand that and to help us look at what Jesus, how Jesus would undo our ego, we're going to look at a story in the Bible. And if you're familiar with church, if you've been to church before, then you will have heard this story before, I guarantee it. If you're not someone who's been before and today's your first time, you may well have heard this story. It's quite a, a popular story. It's the story of where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And we're going to open this up to look at how Jesus would undo our ego because ego is a really dangerous thing. 
Ego can hold us back from the things that we want to step into. You know, if you're a Christian, we might say, ego would hold you back from the things that God has for you. If you're not a Christian, or even all of us would say that ego can hold us back from relationships. Ego, ego can hold us back from taking hold of the opportunities in front of us. Ego, if we don't arrest and have our ego under control, it can hold us back from things in life. So, we're going to look at John 13. We're going to read the whole thing together. It's a bit long, um, but stay with me, and it's going to come up on the weather screen so you can see, read it with me. Um, so it's in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew he was God in human form. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter changes his tune pretty quickly. Then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you is clean. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, if you've checked out, check back in, because this is... Uh, where we're going to land later on. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. This is the uh, kind of uh, titles that Jesus would carry. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And what I want to do is go through this passage and pull out some things that ego might say to us, and then, by a kind of contrast, some things that Jesus would say to us. Um, so we're going to kick off. And the first thing that ego says to us is, I deserve better. But Jesus says, not my will, but yours. Jesus knows in this moment what is coming up. He knows this story is set just before he's arrested, just before he's taken to be whipped, beaten, and hung on a cross for us. Like he knows the pain that is coming. He knows the torture and the agony that is on the horizon. And yet... Jesus, in this moment, thinks about the needs of others. Like if it was me, if I knew what was coming, I would be whinging all the way. Like I would be complaining, I would be going, boys, boys, I know, I know we're having this, this silly little Passover meal, but I've got something really important coming up and I need you to help me out. I, I'm, I'm really scared. Like I would be absolutely whinging. But Jesus, in this moment, he thinks beyond himself and looks 
to the needs of others. You see, ego isn't just about being cocky. Ego isn't just about having a sense of self-assurance. It's not just about being big-headed. Ego is an obsession with our own circumstances, with our own world that is going on. And I want to be really careful here because I know that lots of you will be going through certain circumstances that are tough. And I am not demeaning them. I'm not saying get over yourself and just pretend that everything's all right. That is not what I'm saying here, okay? Jesus does get really stressed out. In fact, if we read on later, Jesus goes to the garden to pray and it says that he was so stressed out that he began to sweat drops of blood. I've never been stressed that much that I've sweated drops of blood. So Jesus does have this moment where it does get too much for him. And he says to God, God, I'll do it. But if there's any way that it doesn't have to be done, that would be brilliant. But then he prays, not my will, but yours. You see, Jesus has the presence of mind to go beyond his own ego, beyond his own circumstances, beyond his own difficulties to say, God, whatever you need me to do, I will be obedient. You see, sometimes when difficulties strike, our ego can creep up on us. Our ego can tell us that we don't deserve this, that you deserve better, and our ego can tell us that this isn't fair. And, you know, in preparation for this talk, I've been reading the book Ego is the Enemy that our lead pastor Leon has has been talking a lot about. And when Leon talks a lot about a book, you know it's coming up on the Life Central reading list. Um, So I read it in preparation for this. And it's it's not a Christian book. The guy who wrote it, a guy called Ryan Holiday, is not a Christian. But there's so much good stuff in this. And I'm going to use a couple of quotes from it. And he says about difficulties, he says this, Ego loves this notion that the, the idea that something is fair or not Psychologists call it narcissistic injury when we, pers- when we take personally totally indifferent and objective events. We do that when our sense of self is fragile and dependent on life going our way all the time. Whether what you're going through is your fault or your problem doesn't matter because it's yours to deal with right now. Failure and hardships always arrive uninvited. They are never welcome. We never invite them. We're never ready for difficult times to come. But, you know, far too many of us allow them to stick around by wallowing in our self-pity. In wallowing and sitting around going, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. And in this moment, Jesus teaches us that even in the midst of our circumstances, we need to be aware of the needs of others. We need to look to serve others. Jesus, in fact has this moment of invited pressure. He invited, he chose to step into these circumstances, but he prays, not my will, but yours. He gives it over. You know, how many times do our own needs and our own struggles stop us from seeing the needs of others? You know, it can work in reverse as well, that our ego can tell us that we're not good enough, and our ego can tell us that we don't deserve anything. And it can be subtle, I don't know if you've ever complimented uh, a, a, a woman on their new clothes. I do this with, with uh, some of the youth team. I say, oh, is that a new jumper? And guarantee all the girls will go, oh, thanks, next, five pounds. Like, you do it, everyone does it. Oh, I really like your dress, cheers, 15 pound, River Island, it was on sale. Like, why, why do we do that? It's something within our culture, within our, within our Britishness, maybe, that we don't, we're not good at taking a compliment, that we almost have to justify a compliment coming our way, that we don't deserve it because it was on sale and it was cheap. Like, we justify it. And sometimes our ego can tell us that we're the only person that God could never use. I remember years ago in my 
shall we say, less pastoral days before I was here at Life Central. I was in a conversation with, with a young girl doing, um, in kind of after an event, and we've been talking about how Jesus forgives every one of us, that Jesus loves us no matter what we've done, no matter the circumstances, all that kind of stuff that we talk regularly about in church and in youth events. And then um, I was chatting one-to-one with this girl, and this girl was telling me that there is no way that God could forgive her for what she had done. That all the stuff that she had done in her life to this point, there is no way that God could forgive her. And I took a risk, and I went, it's a bit arrogant, isn't it? And she looked at me like some of you are looking at me like, now, that is not the thing to say. And if anyone ever says that to you, that's not the thing to say. But I went with it. (laughs) And I said to her, well, you know, Jesus died. Jesus says he forgives and has has paid the price for everybody in the world, everybody in history, everything that we could ever do. Everything, every mistake that we could ever make, everything that we've done wrong, every word that we have said that is wrong, Jesus died and forgives each and every one of us. Not just everyone in the world today, but everyone throughout the course of history and everybody that comes after us. Jesus forgives all of them, but it's a bit arrogant that you think that Jesus won't forgive you. And she, the penny dropped for her. And I was like, whew, that worked. There was a moment when I was like, I might just put this girl off, off Jesus forever. But you see, sometimes our ego can tell us that we're the only one that Jesus doesn't love, that we're the only one that Jesus won't use. Our ego and our own self-pity can creep up on us and say that I am the only one that when people say God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, that God loves you, that you sit there and go, no, not me. That's ego. Ego doesn't just appear as being big, uh, big-headed and loud and cocky. Ego can appear in our, in our own self-pity, and Jesus wants to undo that. The second point is that ego says, crush your enemies, but Jesus says, love your enemies. You know, in this moment, Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. Judas is about to betray him. Judas is the one that turns Jesus over to the authorities to be, to be crucified. He knows that this is about to happen. Now, I would not wash my wife's feet. I would not wash the feet of my best mates who I've known since I was a baby I would never, ever wash the feet of my biggest enemy. But in this moment, Jesus washes Judas' feet also. You see, I wonder how much of your ego would Jesus have to undo in order for you to wash the feet of your enemy? Because that's what Jesus does in this moment. And I think sometimes when we're offended, it can be about our ego. Our ego gets hurt when we get offended, when people hurt us. Our ego takes a little kick. And, you know, we we can go, well, they have hurt me, they have done wrong, therefore I am better than them, therefore I should never bother with them again. And sometimes our ego can creep up on us when it comes to the enemy. And Jesus wants to undo our ego so that we can love our enemies. And in the book, Ego is the Enemy, he does this whole chapter on loving those who hate you, loving your enemy. And I'm listening to it going, he's going to mention Jesus in a minute. He's going to mention Jesus. He, he does use a few Bible passages in, in his other chapters, and I'm listening to it because I, listen, I read books on audiobook because I'm not so good with the reading. Um, but he, he, he goes through this chapter, and I'm going, he's going to mention Jesus in a minute. He's going to mention Jesus in a minute. And he says this, you know what is a better response to an attack or a slight or something, something you don't like? Love. That's right, love. For the neighbor who won't turn down the music, for the parent who let you down, 
for the bureaucrat who lost your paperwork, for the group that rejects you, for the critic who attacks you, for the former partner who stole your business, to the girlfriend or husband who cheated on you, love. And he still doesn't mention Jesus in the whole chapter. He doesn't mention Jesus. And part of me was disappointed, but part of me was encouraged because thousands of years later, now business people and business consultants and life consultants are teaching that a good way to live is to love your enemy. And Jesus taught it. Jesus was the first to teach it and the first to model it. And, you know, we used to... um, we used to take our young people to a Christian festival called Soul Survivor. And uh, it's around about 8,000 people that are there. And uh, we took a group of around about 40 of us, including leaders. And uh, there was two main sessions a day. And we would make sure that we got our spot for the main sessions. So we were at the back of the front section so that we all had a great view, that we were in the middle, that we could see everything, that all of our young people were close enough to be engaged, but far away enough to not get blown away by the speakers. And the way that we would make sure that we got our spot was we would get to the main venue an hour and 15 minutes before the service started. Okay, and we would, we would be there as the doors were closed, and we would be there waiting, and I would be saying to the young people, we need to make sure we get our spot. Like, if you need to throw a few elbows on the way in, do it. Like, <laughs> honestly, we, and what would happen is we would sprint in, and we would dive on the floor, and we would save our space, and people would lie down and throw Bibles and pillows and everything over around to save our space, and the stewards would be saying, don't run, you need to walk, it's not safe to run, and I'd be going to our young people, run, just run! Like, I, honestly, it was so funny, and we would run in, we would dive, and we would save our space, and then for, for an hour and 15 minutes, we would sit there, and we would talk to each other, we would play cards, we would protect our space from other youth groups, and other youth leaders would Come, o- come over to see if there was any space. And I'd be like, no, no space here. Go over there, like, like, like the inn on Christmas. And I would be like, mate, you need to go over there. Go away. And we would be protective of our space. And then this one morning, about five minutes before the main meeting started, I saw this youth leader come in with three of his young people. And he came in, and I could see he was hovering by us looking for a bit of space. And I told him, mate, there's no space here. You need to go somewhere else. And I seen him have a little conversation with his, with his young people, and he decided that they were just going to sit behind us. You see, we were at the back, so the aisle was right behind us. So they just plunked themselves behind us and slowly was, were, were moving forward and shuffling us and, and creeping in on our space. And I got a little bit annoyed, so had a word in Christian love with their youth leader, um, which he just kind of ignored and carried on. And I could see all of our, all of our young people were really annoyed, and I was a bit annoyed as well because it wasn't fair. Like, we'd been there for an hour and 15 minutes, and this guy rocks in five minutes before and gets a good spot. And uh, I was pretty annoyed, but the service started, and we started singing, we started worshipping. And I looked around, and one of our young people was chatting to the lads in his youth group. And then I, I watched as he offered to pray for all of them. And I thought, I am such a bad youth leader. Because this guy understood that in the moment... These were our enemies. It's pretty trivial. It's only over a bit of space. But he understood that he saw a need behind them, that he saw a need behind the circumstance, behind our offense. He was able to look over that and see that these were people with a human heart that required to experience love. And he was willing to show that. And I joined in and I apologized to God and said, sorry, God, I've got this totally wrong. But one of our young people led us to loving our enemies. We need to not crush our enemies, but we need to love them. And I promise you, 
loving your enemies will not only give you a better way of dealing with the circumstances and the difficulties that you face with people, it will also have a really positive impact on your own well-being, on your own mental health, on the condition of your own mind and heart. Loving your enemies will have a significant impact on that. The third thing is that ego says become the best, but Jesus says serve the least. You know, washing feet was not a job for the Son of God. It was not a job for the Savior of the world to wash people's feet. The job of washing people's feet was there for the lowest-ranked servants. And the reason that feet would need washing is because the disciples didn't go around wearing Adidas or Nike or Reebok or anything like that. They went around wearing open-toe sandals. And their roads in, in those days weren't the lovely, smooth, tarmac roads that we have here in Dudley Council. They were dusty, filthy, rocky roads. In fact, they, were, they would often have sewage going down the side of, of each, like either side of the road. Like, as they walked around, their feet would be caked in filth, that they would be covered. And, you know, when we go into somebody's house, we go in and we take our shoes off because we don't want the filth of outside to get into the house. And they, the filth of outside was just all over their feet. So they would wash their feet. Washing feet is a, is a concept that's a bit strange to us, but in those days, it was normal. And in fact, because they were having a Passover meal together, you know, the table wouldn't have been like a normal table height like we would be used to, and they wouldn't sit on chairs like you're sitting on. You see, the table would be just a few inches off the floor, and they would sit on the floor on cushions, and they would recline, and therefore their feet would be right next to the food. So it was unhygienic for all that filth to be all over their feet right next to the food that they're about to eat. And it was the job of the lowest-ranked person in the house. It was the most disgusting job in the house, and it was the lowest person that would do it. And here, Jesus absolutely blows the disciples' minds. He shocks them by taking on the nature of the least in the house. You know, it's funny because there's other stories uh, around Jesus where the disciples are having conversations and they're trying to figure out who's the best, who's, who's the vice captain of the disciples, who's, who's, who's the highest ranked amongst them. And ego naturally has us working towards figuring out where we fit. Ego has us looking at, at where we are ranked in order. Like ego has us looking to the top, but humility has our eyes on the bottom. You see, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to allow Jesus to undo our ego, we have to be willing to take on the least. We have to be willing to do the worst jobs in your workplace. You have to be willing to do the worst jobs. You have to be willing to become the least because that's undoing your ego. That is becoming humility. You know, as a leader, I never want to ask somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do. The bins on the youth floor are disgusting. And I will ask other leaders to do it, but I will make sure that I do it periodically as well because I want to become like Jesus. I think, you know, putting the bins out is probably the equivalent of washing somebody's feet. It's not a nice job to do, but I want to do it because I want to live out humility. I think, um, you know, living out humility and uh, serving the least is about understanding that we are not a gift for God but all that we have is a gift from God. And when we understand that, we don't jostle for position and power. We are looking for uh, serving the least. The next thing is that ego says, exalt yourself, but Jesus says, humble yourself. And there's 
another discussion here, it's kind of taken on from the last point, but there's another discussion in Luke 18 where, where Jesus is with uh, some Pharisees who are like religious people and some tax collectors. And the Pharisees are kind of showing off and they're going, oh, thank God I'm not like them dirty people. And they're, they're, they're kind of being all, all self-proud and showing off their egos a little bit. And Jesus says this in Luke 18. He says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I want to talk a little bit about social media. Now, before I start, I want to say I love social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I don't really use Facebook that much anymore, but, but I am in, a person who engages with social media. Okay, I don't hate social media, but I do think often social media can be shameless self-promotion. Social media can be a platform in which our egos get out of control. It can be a place where we show off, where we say, oh, look at me, aren't I great at my job? Oh, aren't I a great husband or wife or parent? Oh, look at me, look at the new car that I've just bought. All this kind of stuff, we can become like self-promotion and showing ourselves and exalting ourselves. And a few years ago, Leon talked about social media and um, talked more into like rants and, and the appropriateness of what you put up on social media. And he introduced this concept of pause before your post, in that you, when you create a post, having a moment to say, is this, is this helpful, what I'm putting out there? Is this useful? Is it appropriate? Asking those kinds of questions. And I personally found that really helpful, because I've found now that I, I tweet less about referees and football, because I pause before I post. But there's an evolution that's gone on for me of that principle of pause before your post. In the summer, uh, my wife, Laura, was invited to speak at Soul Survivor, the festival that I was talking about, and it's thousands of young people. It's probably the biggest uh, kind of speaking gig that a Christian youth worker can get in this country. And I was really proud of my wife. I was dead excited, and I went along to hear her speak, and I took a couple of photos, and I was about to put something on Instagram and share it to Facebook, and I wanted everybody to know, and I was about to do it, and I just, either God said or I asked myself the question, why am I doing this? Why, why am I posting it? Is it that I want the world to know that I'm married to some sort of minor Christian celebrity? Is it because I, I want everyone to sit up and go, oh, look at the Hancocks, aren't they doing well in the world of church? Like, what was it that was making me want to post it? And I decided not to post. And I'm not saying that you should never post uh, things like that, but I just had a moment where, where God challenged me and said, am I trying to exalt myself or am I trying to be humble? You know, I think with social media, we can fall into a trap of comparison. And I think when we're full of ourselves, there's no room left for God. And true humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Guys, we need to not exalt ourselves. Uh, ego exalts ourselves, but Jesus says, humble yourself. Second to last point as the band come up, um, Ego says, protect yourself, but Jesus says, come to me. You know, Peter in this moment, um, Jesus comes to wash his feet, and no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. G uh, Peter has this moment where he's like, there is no way, Jesus, I'm letting you wash my feet. There is no way I'm letting you near my mess. I am not letting you near the stink of my, of my open-toe sandals. Peter has this moment where he is not wanting to be vulnerable before Jesus. And ego tells us to protect ourselves. 
Ego says, don't let everybody in. Don't let anybody see that you haven't got it all together. Ego can stop us finding help. Ego gives us fear of looking weak. Ego stops us trusting others. Ego makes us try to do it all ourselves. Maybe you've had moments where you felt God challenge you on something, where you've perhaps been in church on a Sunday and you've listened and heard the talk and you've thought, I need to respond to that, but you've not been able to. It's ego that keeps you in your chair. Maybe you've had friends talking to you about God and talking to you about faith and church and Jesus and you know, it's taken you a little while to make your first steps to come on a Sunday morning. Maybe you've heard stuff about Jesus and you thought, I'd like to respond to that. But ego's kept you down. Ego's kept you in your chair. Ego's kept you from responding. You see, ego says, protect yourself. But Jesus says, come to me. The final point before we respond is that ego says, I am the center of the universe. Jesus says, I created it. Ego puts ourselves at the center of our world. We need to realize that the world doesn't revolve around us. And I need to realize that the world doesn't revolve around me. We need to right-size ourselves in the scale of the universe. When we understand that, um, that we are not the center of the world, Jesus can undo our ego. And you know, ego's never sorted. You've never boxed off your ego and gone, yeah, I've dealt with that, that's sorted. Ego's kind of like the washing up, that it's a never-ending job, that you need to just keep coming back to it because stuff will come up and your ego will creep up. But to keep your ego in check, to allow Jesus to continually undo your ego, you've got to keep looking at it. And we're going to sing together a song that helps me keep my ego in check. And I think it's a great song to sing as we respond and reflect on how Jesus would want to undo our ego. You know, because if Jesus put the needs of other people above his own, then so will I. If Jesus could love his enemies, then so will I. If Jesus served the least, then so will I. If Jesus washed others' feet, so will I. If Jesus can humble himself, then so will I. And some of you that have been around church can see where I'm going. We're going to sing a song that's called So Will I. And this song speaks of the magnitude of the universe. It speaks of the bigness of God. And it says things like, if the rocks cry out in worship, then so will I. If creation sings your praises, then so will I. And for me, as I sing this, like if you sing this properly and you bring this to God and mean it, your ego is undone because you realize that actually me singing praises is like creation singing praises, that I am part of that, that the world does not revolve around me, the world does not revolve around you. As we sang earlier, it's Jesus at the center of it all. So church, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet. And I'm gonna pray just before we sing. Father God, Jesus, I pray that you continue to speak to us Jesus I pray that you would undo our egos Jesus I pray that you would challenge the parts of our ego that need to be challenged maybe not all of us struggle with having big heads and big egos but we we maybe struggle with being vulnerable maybe we struggle at, 
at looking outside of our own world. Whatever it is, God, I pray that in these next few moments, would you undo those bits of our ego that need to be undone so that we will no longer be held back from what you have for us, that we may no longer be held back from the opportunities that are in front of us. God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us through the words of this song. Amen. Oh,